You are listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with value investor and author of Soul in the Game, Vitaly Katzenelson. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. So I started writing in 2004, and I wrote about subjects very familiar to me, which was value investing. And I say this, this is very important to understand. When you create something, you need to have self-confidence. And I felt I had self-confidence. I had enough, well, I had pedigree. So I had a two finance degrees. I had a CFA designation and I was doing investing for a living. So I felt that gave me the right to write about investing. So I've been writing about investing for a long, long time. But over time, it's like when you do something for a long time, it gets a little bit mundane. It's, you discover less and less every time you write. So I started to write, as I just mentioned, about my kids, about my life. And in the beginning, those were just small passages that I used either to tell a story, a lot of times about value investing, or sometimes I would write articles for Financial Times. But a lot of people who I wanted to read the articles would not subscribe to Financial Times. So I ended up having an email list. I would send out the article for Financial Times. I would write a few paragraphs about my life. And then at the end of the article, I would write about a classical music composer that I've been listening to at that point in time and share some classical music. And over time, I would get emails from people, complete strangers that have been reading my articles. I say, Vitaly, it's very strange, but I came to your articles for investment lessons, but I'm really staying for life lessons and classical music. And that was a shock to me. And so what's important over time, it gave me confidence to actually write about topics outside of value investing. And over time, they weren't just kind of a few paragraphs about life. They actually started to write articles about life. And so now when you read my essays, 50% of them about stock market or economy or whatever, another 50% of them about life. And then in August, 2020, in the middle of pandemic, I was writing about Tchaikovsky. And I was going to share his six that he wrote for strings. And as I was researching it, I realized that Tchaikovsky's journey of writing that piece was so painful. And I was learning more and more about this. I realized actually composing that piece, the pain that he went through is not that much different than the pain any creative person goes through when they create something. As a writer, I experienced similar pain when I write, or as an investor as well. So I kind of ended up writing an essay, really not about classical music, but about creativity. And when I finished it and I was rereading it, I realized if somebody wants to start writing or writing and struggling, if they read that essay, it's going to help them. And then I had another realization over the years, I've written so many essays like that on different parts of life. So I should take them and put them into a book and publish it. Now, this is where it gets more interesting. So before that, I wrote two investment books. So having a published book did not really matter to me. I just wanted to get it out. So I wasn't even looking for a publisher. I was going to self-publish it. And then literally two weeks later, I get an email from Herman House, which is a publisher in the UK. And they said, Vitaly, you were working on the book. How's it going? Well, they're referring to investment book that I never finished. And I said, listen, that investment book, it's kind of nice right now, but this is what I'm working on. And I sent them basically a Word document of all the essays I was going to publish. And I expected very polite British, Vitaly, this is a great idea. Good luck. You know, kind of this kind of thing. They came back to me and said, this is a great idea. Let's do it. So 
at that point, I was in shock because I was thinking there must be something wrong with them. I talked to two of my friends who published books with Herman House just to make sure that this is like a legitimate publisher. And my friends gave me very positive feedback. So that's how this book came about, just completely random. I wrote three books. And my first book was Active Value Investing, which is like 280 pages, 75 charts and tables. It's written kind of for people like me. And then John Wiley and Sons came to me and said, why don't you take your first book and rewrite it for your neighborhood dentist? In other words, instead of same message, same concepts, but explain it to somebody who is a smart person, but may not be professional. So now it's a different type of writing. And I remember vividly, there was a few days where I was completely devastated because I struggled with a few chapters and it was an agony. It was like, it felt like a physical pain. And then I got through that. So anybody who's doing anything creative should be kind of prepared that pain, it's more of a feature. And the reason it's a feature because pain induces more creativity. And pain is like if I talk about Tchaikovsky and let's say there is no way I can prove this, but I would argue that if he was not a gay man growing up in a very homophobic Russia, his music probably would have a lot less emotion. And so when you listen to his music, he's communicating his pain through music. In the book, I have this chapter called Abracadabra. And I talk about four modes of communications. There's a three P modes. There is a preacher, prosecutor, and politician. So politicians, I paint as negative, but they are not always negative. So I'll give you negative and positive side of each mode. When you think of politicians, if you think of it from a negative perspective, because basically those are spineless people a lot of times that are trying to get you to like them. So we assume they have no core beliefs and they tell us what we want to hear, even though they don't believe in it. So that's a negative connotation of that. The positive connotation is when you go on the first date and you're just trying to get a person to like you and you're looking for points of similarity or something you agree on. So when you go on the first date, you're on the politician mode. When you're prosecutor mode, obviously when you think of prosecutor, you think about courtroom, but also when you're trying to convince somebody of something that is very, very important, like trying to convince Putin not to have the war in Ukraine. I would like to send the best prosecutor there to change his mind. Obviously, it would be a waste of time. But you see what I mean? So there are times when you want to change somebody else's mind, and it's a positive thing. And then you have a preacher mode where preachers basically has this message, and he's just trying to communicate this message. And the preacher believes and tries to convey this message to others and turn them into believers. So it depends on your interpretation of religion and whatever. Now, let me give you another example. Steve Jobs, he was a preacher because he basically come up with an idea and then he tried to convince employees that they actually can do this. So that's him in a preacher mode. Okay. So those three Ps are very important modes, but this is a very important but. If you spend all your time in these modes, you will learn very little because all of them are kind of outward looking modes. You're trying to convince others and you don't learn very much when you're in those modes. Now, I would argue that most of us need to spend a good chunk of our time in a scientist mode. If you're in a scientist mode, then you're doing what Seneca basically said, you know, time discovers truth. So in the scientist mode, everything you look at is a hypothesis. And then all you're trying to do is you're just trying to figure out if your hypothesis is right or wrong. And therefore, in the debate, 
you're trying to understand the other person's side, not necessarily be in a prosecutor mode and to convince the person to change his or her mind. We want to be very careful that ideas don't become our identity because once they do, we can't change it. In fact, I would argue we have to be very mindful and evaluate our identity because a lot of times our identity is formed through completely random experiences. And I'll give an example. Like, I really don't want to step into politics. But a lot of times when you think about gay rights, abortion, all these issues, a lot of times we didn't think through those issues. A lot of times they were given to us through our parents, through our brain, or a lot of times the debates. Like you debated this with somebody and through random reason you chose a position. And then the more you defended that position, the more it became you basically inherited that view through the debate. And you didn't even think about it, but basically that became part of your identity. So we have to be very careful that ideas don't become our identity. Or if they do, we have to, like, that's something that was a very mindful decision when we did that. But I think it's just a lot of little lessons that I try to, through the book, that I try to communicate, you know, how to improve the world a little bit. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or to learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.